Good morning. I'm Duarte Geraldino. This is Apple News Today. Each morning, hear about some of the most fascinating stories in the news and how the world's best journalists are covering them. Shamita Basu is off today. Another woman is saying Donald Trump sexually assaulted her before he became president. And that's where we begin today. The Guardian has an exclusive here. A former model named Amy Doris says in 1997, she went to the U.S. Open with her then-boyfriend Jason Bin, who is one of Trump's friends. Now, they watched the tournament from Trump's VIP box. When she was coming out of the bathroom, Doris says Trump was waiting for her. And then she says he accosted her. I want to warn you, you're going to hear some graphic descriptions of assault. Here's what Doris told The Guardian. And he just grabbed me and he just shoved his tongue down my throat and I was pushing him off. And then that's when his grip became tighter and um, you know, his hands were kind of it's like very gropey and all over you know, my, my butt, my, my breasts, my back, like everything. The Guardian published photos of Doris and Trump together at the tournament and elsewhere in New York that weekend. She also showed The Guardian her ticket to the U.S. Open. The Guardian corroborated her story with several people who she told about the incident, including a friend in New York, her mother and her therapist. I've been really quiet about it for a long time. And I, I don't know, I just feel like I don't want to be quiet anymore. And, and how are you feeling about coming forward now? I don't feel safe, but I don't feel, I don't care because people need to hear this. Through his lawyers, President Trump is firmly denying all of her allegations. More than 20 other women have made similar accusations, including E. Jean Carroll. She's a journalist and former Elle magazine advice columnist. She alleges Trump raped her in a dressing room during the mid-1990s. She spoke with CNN's Anderson Cooper last year about how the incident began. The minute I was in there, he shut the door and pushed me up against the wall and bang, bang my head on the wall and kiss me. I just, it was so shocking. E. Jean Carroll is publishing an ongoing series of interviews with fellow accusers in The Atlantic. Three installments are already in print. The Atlantic says this series will regularly run all the way up until the November election. In the first installment, journalist Natasha Stoyanov talks about interviewing Trump and his then-pregnant wife, First Lady Melania Trump, for People magazine in 2005. And when Melania left the room, she says Trump forced her up against a wall Trump denied ever meeting Stoyanov altogether, but People has released a photo of the two of them together. Other essays reveal similar situations. In 2016, Jessica Leeds was one of the first women to come forward accusing Trump of assault. She describes being on an airplane in 1979. She says Trump lured her into first class from coach. That's where she says he groped her. The president has consistently denied all these allegations. Representative Matt Gates is one of President Trump's congressional allies. He's also riding the Make America Great Again wave to national prominence. Now, during the impeachment hearings last year, Gates was one of the president's most outspoken defenders. This is the quickest, thinnest, weakest, most partisan impeachment in all of American presidential history. And for all the radical left's attacks on the president's honesty, it's their lies that continue to fuel this scorched earth strategy of impeachment. 
In a profile in Vanity Fair, the two-term congressman from Florida is described as being proficient in a new style of political gamesmanship that's taking over Washington. Gates says, You no longer gain power and influence by schmoozing with policy wonks at think tanks. No, today, it's all about the media, getting on TV as much as you can, having soundbites go viral. His mastery of the media may be why Republicans chose him to give an opening night speech at the RNC last month. Settle for Biden. That's the hashtag promoted by AOC and the socialists. The Woketopians will settle for Biden because they will make him an extra in a movie written, produced and directed by others. It's a horror film, really. And it's funny, you know, Gates takes a shot at Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in that clip. But in Vanity Fair, he compliments her, though she's public enemy number one for people in his party. Now, Gates suggests he and AOC are both cut from the same cloth when it comes to star power and how to achieve it. If you're working from home, it might be hard to imagine ever going back to the way things were pre-pandemic. You know, commuting to and from the office every day, having to get dressed every morning. Bloomberg News reports, in a recent survey, almost a third of office workers said they never want to go back to the office. And almost three quarters said they would, at minimum, want to work from home at least two days a week. Now, a lot of people are saying what we're experiencing right now, this is the future of work. But according to Bloomberg News, some CEOs are not happy about it. I think going back to work is a good thing. I think they're negative to working from home. I think our younger people don't, I'm sorry, the analysts and associates, you know, you learn by basically being an apprentice to people sitting next to you. Uh, you know, we've seen productivity drop in certain jobs and alienation go up and certain things. So That's Jamie Dimon, CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase. His company was one of the first big Wall Street banks to require employees to come back to the office after Labor Day. President Trump praised the move in a tweet, but pretty quickly, someone tested positive and the bank had to send some workers home. Still, Diamond and many other CEOs are eager to have employees back in the office as soon as possible. Finally, you know how during the pandemic, everything seemed to be sold out, toilet paper, all-purpose flour, kettlebells? Well, in The Atlantic, reporter Amanda Moll explains what exactly went wrong in the supply chain. And this is surprising. While you or some of your friends were busy baking and worried about a shortage of flour, the real missing ingredient was probably nothing that goes into your bread. Moll takes us along the supply chain, starting with a slowdown in China to not enough workers to service the cargo ships that the products are sent on to the packaging of those goods once they get here. For example, at some point, there was plenty of all-purpose flour in warehouses, but not enough small brown bags to put them in. This is a really in-depth look at how COVID disrupted the global supply chain. You can find all these stories and more on the Apple News app. Shamit and I will be back next week.